Welcome to today's episode of the Exploratory Journey and today we're discussing how to look after your mental health as a student, building a non-profit as a student and developing diversity in the workplace. Hi and welcome to another Exploratory Journey episode and today I'm joined by Tanya. Hi and thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me on. Would you be able to tell us a bit more about yourself and kind of your career journey and what you do? Yeah, of course. So I'm going into my third year at the LSC and I study international relations and Mandarin. Um, earlier this year, I founded and started up Championing Youth Minds, which is a youth-led mental health nonprofit organisation. And since then, I've been the CEO and managing everything that our organisation does. And currently this summer, I've been interning as a talent intern at GoCardless, which is a fintech company. Um, so I do wear quite a few hats, but I enjoy every single one of them. That's great. Um, could you tell us a bit more about like what made you start championing Youth Minds and kind of what motivated you to get it going? Of course. So Championing Youth Minds is something I started up earlier this year, so around April 2021. Um, and it was actually kind of reflecting on the mental health challenges that young people were facing, especially during the COVID, COVID pandemic. Um, and I really felt like there's something more that needs to be done. And as an individual, I can play my part in making that change, even if it is just a small change. So what I did was reach out to my local council and I had this idea of, you know, it's more powerful when it comes from young people because young people can resonate with other young people. And there's a lot of kind of nuances in terms of, you know, how we use social media, how that may affect our mental well-being, which um, maybe the older generations aren't exactly as aware of as we are. So I really wanted it to be kind of young people pioneering this mental health awareness movement. And since then we have social medias, which we post kind of bite-sized information about mental well-being. We have a podcast where we talk to different young people about their experiences of mental well-being. Um, and we also this summer ran a free 10-week virtual workshop program um, and talked about how different themes in our daily life can be leveraged in a positive way to help with our mental well-being. And we're hoping to have um, youth-led talks and workshops being presented in schools, hopefully this academic year. Um, and we really hope that we can at least help some young people in managing their mental well-being or just having a better understanding about mental health in general. I, I think that whole mission is great. Um, and, you know, mental health has been such a big problem in in recent years, it's kind of come into the limelight in the news and things, but, you know, it's an ongoing thing that everyone struggles with. And actually a lot of people kind of pass over the fact that young people face just as many problems as those who are older. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of kind of your your journey, because you study at LSE, um, which ha probably has a notoriously um, difficult workload and it can probably be quite challenging just managing the workload alone but how do you kind of do manage your mental health alongside that? Yeah definitely I think you're right in terms of saying that LSC is quite renowned for its workload and intensity um, and that's definitely something that I was kind of hit with when I started and it was kind of a journey for me to work out how I could 
prioritize my mental well-being alongside you know making sure I'm delivering my deadlines and getting good grades um, so for anyone who's just about to start uni or has started uni the advice I'd give them which I followed was kind of like working out what works for me so I'm quite an organized person I like to have things written down and I like to have allocated times for things so I think the first thing I did was kind of bring up a calendar whether it was written or virtual I did a virtual kind of just block out times for different things so I blocked out times for my lectures and my classes and then I blocked out times for times where I'd be spending time with friends or spending time with family and then in those gaps in between I blocked out time to do the things I enjoy so even if it was reading a book okay so 6 to 7 p.m I'm going to read a book um 2 to 3 p.m I'm going to take a walk and I think it's really important to understand that although university and career plans are really important you are as important if not more important because none of that can be achieved if you're not feeling your best and I think as overwhelming as it can be starting uni and having this new lifestyle it's really important that at the center of this lifestyle is yourself um, and if you enjoy socializing with friends more than you enjoy studying that's completely okay do what makes you happy because when you're happy you're more productive you're more efficient in the way you're working and that is genuinely the most important thing I've learned since I went to uni. Do you, do you think that kind of you because university is a very different environment at school do you think that kind of the pressures coming from all different directions um a just like when you're starting off trying to find friends and make friends and then be kind of like there'll be loads of people talking about their career or and there'll be loads of people who kind of are like studying 24 7 and do you think lots of the pressure coming from lots of different directions can be overwhelming and do you think you felt that when you started and how it, if you did how did you kind of overcome that yeah, definitely. I think everyone has a very different experience and how they feel when they start university. Personally, for me, it was a positive one. Um, I was always really stressed with GCSEs and A-levels. And I felt like that was the only thing I had to work towards in my life. You know, my family, I live with my family. My friends, I see them at school. It's completely okay. But, you know, exams and workload is really the most important thing to me. But for me, when I started university, I realised you know, I need to put conscious effort into making friends. I need to put conscious effort into looking after myself, whether that's um, how much physical exercise I do or the food I eat. And I think once you realize that you're now responsible for these things for yourself, you naturally end up kind of paying more attention to them. And you realize that, okay, you know what, like before A-levels felt like that was my entire life, but this, you know, university, is much more than just the studies and I think that's why a lot of people when they talk about university experience they don't talk about the actual kind of study itself they talk a lot about you know going out making friends and things like that um, and I think that's something important to remember is that university the word itself is much more than kind of the academics of it it's a whole rounded experience and I mean personally for me it was quite a positive change to understand that you know studying isn't everything and I think if you can remind yourself that as you start and as you progress through uni, it will help a lot. I think that's some great advice. Um, in terms of kind of mental health, because it's become such a mainstream issue, particularly youth mental health, and it, it's just grown in size due to the pandemic in terms of people struggling with their mental health. 
Do you think universities are doing enough in making provisions for pastoral support, mental health? And if not, why is that? And what do you think they could do to kind of change that? Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. I feel like the conversation around youth mental health has only really come up after this pandemic or during the pandemic, which is unfortunate because it's obviously been an issue that's been going around for however long people have been around to be honest it's not a new thing and I think universities were not equipped in a position before the pandemic that they were offering sufficient mental health support and especially during and now hopefully we're moving post-pandemic there is still a lot that needs to be done um, I know like for example LSE have a well-being service however firstly the counselling services are very oversubscribed. The waiting time is around like a month or two. Um, and I've heard that a lot of young people, they say to me, you know, I applied for it when I was in a really bad place. I couldn't get the support. So I kind of had to figure it out myself. And now two months later, I've been given my first counseling session. I didn't even know what to talk about. And I can definitely relate to that. I've had that situation as well when you're really feeling down and you want to reach out to the support available, but there's such a time like period where you don't have any of that support and you have to figure it out yourself so I definitely think universities need to do a lot more to ensure that they have enough kind of mental well-being staff for the students that are at university but also the conversation just needs to be greater and um, I think students are definitely having those conversations but between students and teachers and teachers between each other to have that kind of conversation about mental well-being you know, sometimes you are just kind of having a bad time, you might miss a deadline, but do you feel comfortable to be able to tell your teacher, I don't think I'll make that deadline? Probably not. I never really felt comfortable until I got my inclusion plan, but it really is about kind of making mental health the forefront of the conversation. And although we're here, you know, universities are here to facilitate our education, their priority is our mental well-being. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And do you, do you think that, or do you think that universities have kind of learned, learned a lesson over the pandemic and they're, they're, they're going to try and do things a bit differently over time? Um, I'd like to think so, yes, but I think it's a very kind of big shift that needs to happen because a lot of, I think in response to the pandemic, staff has felt really overwhelmed and like the entire responsibility is on them. But one thing we have to understand is when we talk about mental health in institutions such as universities, we're also talking about mental health support for staff. Um, and I think until universities don't kind of have external training or external support for their staff to then understand how they can support the students, um, I don't really think we'll have an effective mental health support model until that's achieved. I kind of wanted to move on to kind of another one of your passions which is diversity um and you intend to go cardless over the mm -hmm. summer which is a great company um and you worked in their kind of talent team um but you're a huge advocate for diversity in the workplace but do you think kind of startups fintechs kind of scale-ups are doing enough to promote diversity within their ranks because you know they're small enough that they don't get the public scrutiny that larger companies do um, and do you think therefore that's an issue? 
Um, no, I'm actually, I have quite a positive view on kind of the work that the startup world is doing around diversity. I definitely feel like startups are doing a lot more to promote diversity um, in comparison to larger companies. Maybe that's a little bit of a biased view, but they definitely have the flexibility around diversity and inclusion policies. As they're setting up these policies, they have kind of the external influence and if you think about it, startups right now are developing their diversity and inclusion policies in this current climate, whereas the bigger companies which have been around for decades, they built these policies years ago when diversity and inclusion wasn't really at the forefront of the conversation. So I definitely feel like startups have that flexibility and that ability to kind of mould with the situation as it goes on. And I mean, with GoCardless, they are extremely diverse and inclusive. And I was actually really pleasantly surprised when I joined them because I had always heard that the corporate world is very kind of stereotypical, you know, slightly older, probably male, probably from a white um, Caucasian background. But when I was at GoCardless, I realized, you know, everyone is so diverse and this is amazing. Um, and that does make me think, you know, do you think that these larger companies need to learn from these startups? If I was to answer that on the spot right now, I'd say, of course, definitely. I think startups are actually the best example of how diverse and inclusive and accessible works, workplaces can be. And I do think it's time for the larger corporate firms and companies to really take a step back, look at what these, you know, early young companies are doing and kind of emulate that into their into their workplace definitely and do, do you think then like companies sometimes forget about certain groups in terms of like diversity and inclusion and the policies they put in place such as for instance those disabilities and particularly like invisible disabilities and do you think kind of lack of provision in this sense or lack of understanding even can be harmful and how would you say is the best way to kind of, you know, rectify that if it is a case in a company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel like companies unintentionally forget about certain groups and it can be very hard for, you know, someone in the, in the HR of a company to exactly understand what provisions may be useful for certain groups. Um, so for myself, I have invisible disabilities and I can understand that um, because it's, invisible it's quite hard for me to communicate that with others but also for others to completely understand my situation um, and I've been in I've been in this place where I've been in interviews and assessment centers where because I've got a smile on my face and there's nothing visible that they can see you know I'm meant to be in my best form and I'm meant to be kind of at the same level as everyone else but there's so much more to just the word disability and one thing I've really learned during my time at GoCardless was that I'm, I take for granted the fact that I know how many different disabilities there are. And I know how neurodiversity can um, also be defined as a disability. But had I not been kind of put in the situation where I did develop such health conditions, I would have, I would be thinking disability as you're probably in a wheelchair. And that's horrible as it, like, it sounds horrible. But the truth is that a lot of people, especially in the workplace, they think they define disability as that. And I think that's where companies need to be more mindful about the provisions they make. So, for example, one thing I worked out at GoCardless was 
actually are their job descriptions readable um and that sounds quite stupid but there is this metric called the readability score and this is how many people in the population can actually understand comprehend and read the information and i ran these this metric test on all of the job descriptions and we found that there was still a lot more that we could be doing to make sure our job descriptions are accessible and readable to those with um, neurodivergent issues um, such as autism, ADHD, but also ensuring that um, as we're a global company, we're accessible to those around the globe whose first language is not English. Um, and the feedback I got was that was something that none of the team had ever thought about. But me coming in with an invisible disability, I know that there is still scope for improvement. So if I was to kind of think about what could be done to change this, I think the most important thing is diversifying the teams that are responsible for diversity and inclusion. Um, unfortunately, still there's not, there is more diversity in HR teams I've seen, but there is still a lot more. So for example, um, can you have a consultant who specializes in accessibility in the workplace for those with disabilities? That would be a great asset to your team or someone who has worked on gender equality in the company and they would just be leading that. That would be something I think is really, really worthwhile. And personally for me, when I think about the career I wanna do, I think about the fact that I wanna be able to bring this insight into disability accessibility in the workplace and focus specifically on that. So I definitely think kind of exploring these areas deeper and deeper can definitely change kind of how accessible and inclusive companies actually are. And I guess bringing in that, that different perspective kind of opens people's eyes to what else is out there which they just don't know about. And it's not mm -hmm. necessarily at their own fault. It's just that they haven't really come across um these other barriers which might prevent people from you know in terms of like an assessment scenario um performing to their best ability um but in terms of kind of your your startup championing youth minds you've you started it whilst a student um in mm -hmm. a lockdown what was that like the kind of initial process getting it going um and what was the biggest challenge you've faced so far because inevitably you know creating and building a non-profit um will definitely probably come with those struggles and challenges yeah definitely um when i reflect on it now that you said that as a student in a lockdown <laughs> it does kind of surprise me as well but i think it was really that it was something i was so passionate about that it didn't feel like I was actually working or putting in all this effort. It literally felt like, you know, I have the chance to give back to society. And I'm very grateful for everything I have. I'm very grateful to go to LSE. I have this internship and it felt really important to me to be able to help at least one other person. So for me, it was quite natural that it was like, I was on an adrenaline rush. It was amazing, I absolutely loved it. But that goes without saying that there's definitely challenges. Um, I would say there was quite a few, especially it being a lockdown, you know, literally being isolated, not being able to meet people, having to do everything online does get really stressful. There was days where I was literally sitting through Zoom calls for about five hours straight to network with different people and get these insights. I remember just turning off my Zoom and 
you know, there's that, that phrase Zoom fatigue. I really yeah. had Zoom fatigue. <laughs> um, and that was really difficult. But also being a student, I never had an experience such as this before. I never even had an internship before. Um, so I had literally no idea how this works. Um, so it was really kind of navigating it through by myself was who do I go to? How do I network with the right people? Who do I trust and who do I, you know, really rely on? Um, how do I build a volunteer team? How do I build social media outreach? How to collaborate with different organizations? Um, that was definitely a really big challenge. And I think I learned by going through it, kind of learning what works and what doesn't work. Um, but if I was to go for the biggest challenge, I'd say the biggest challenge I faced was being a young person trying to do something like this. I faced a lot of resistance um, from slightly older people in senior positions like, you know, you're really ambitious. Like, this is a really ambitious plan. And I'm like, I'm aware of that. And that's because I'm an ambitious person. But, you know, without that ambition, I don't really think we'll be able to make a change. Um, and now if I reflect on it, there's a few individuals who I think really did doubt that this would even kind of, like, this would even kind of develop into something. Um, and now it's really lovely to kind of hear from those people like, oh, wow, like I didn't expect it to actually grow this much. Um, but I think definitely as a student, you're gonna face a lot of individuals who perhaps don't believe in you as much because you don't have that experience and you are just kind of a young person with this amazing idea and just want some guidance on how to put it into practice. But um, that's what sets you apart and that's what makes whatever you're starting up so unique. And I guess it's definitely a, a learning journey having, you know, gone through that process from having nothing to what you have now. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess that's also really fulfilling in a sense. Did you, did you find that? Yeah, definitely. I think um, kind of putting it all together it was just I was going like really quickly and it just felt like a blur and then this summer I've kind of taken a step back and looked at it and be like wow like you know how amazing is this I've actually got people supporting people as a team you know really people kind of reaching out and being like I saw this um it's a very different because to start off with I was approaching people and now it's kind of reversed and we've got people approaching us which I think it's, it's just amazing. Um, and it definitely, you know, any hard work pays off. Just because it doesn't pay off straight away doesn't mean it's not meant to pay off later. And I think it's about having that patience and that resilience to keep going. I think that that's a great mindset to have. Do you have any other advice for kind of any students out there who want to start a company, a nonprofit, a charity, or anything kind of outside of their typical academic bubble? Mm -hmm. So I think nowadays we really kind of value startups, especially kind of young people independently starting things. But I think the most important thing is that you have to make sure that whatever you're doing is something that you're truly passionate about. This needs to be something that you would bring up in conversation with friends or family. This needs to be something that you're so passionate about that it keeps you up at night. Like obviously that's not a good thing you you want to be getting sleep but at the end of the day if it's something you truly don't feel so deeply about um you just won't have that resilience and that kind of determination to keep going um so that would be my first piece of advice but my second piece of advice was is that if you do have something that you are extremely passionate about 
an idea that you've always wanted to act upon but you don't feel like you can just do it there's so many people out there especially on LinkedIn LinkedIn is such a great tool for us young people to use to connect to different people who can help us even if they can't help us directly they can put us in contact with some connections who may be able to help us and it's just such an amazing way to find mentors and people that can help guide you through the process um, so don't be afraid to ask for help I know how daunting it can be but there's so much help available and when you speak to people in senior positions and they hear that you're a young person with this passion and you want to start something up by yourself, they appreciate that and respect that so much because they will, you'll hear things like, when I was your age, I didn't even know what I was going to do. You know, this is admirable. I'd love to help you in any way. And when, you're, when you hear those type of things, it kind of reaffirms that you're doing the right thing. And reaching out for help is the right thing so yeah that would be my advice first only do it if you're really really passionate about it and secondly is that because of that passion there'll be so much support available to you and you won't have to actually approach that support that support will come to you that's some great advice and your journey is really interesting so I kind of wanted to finish off on one last question which is what motivates and inspires you to do what you do yeah, definitely. So there's there's a few things. So before I kind of got diagnosed with any long-term health conditions, my motivation was really, I want to make my parents proud. I want to get the best grades and I want to get a good paying job. Um, but when I, got, when I got ill, things shifted and my priorities changed. And the, the biggest thing I've realized was that any challenge we face in life is always going to be a lesson. And the best way we can deal with it is by appreciating and being grateful that we have learned something valuable out of it. And I think for me, honestly, the biggest kind of thing that's helped me get into this is my mindset and changing that mindset. Um, you hear a lot about growth mindset, but you don't truly realize the value of it until you kind of do, you step into that position where you are developing a growth mindset. Um, and with that, I've really learned that, you know, I love to embrace the difficult things. I love to take on challenges, even if it means that I fail. Um, and I think what motivates me the most is that I can use my bad experience. So for example, me having this disability, I managed to use it in a positive way to make a difference. So going into Go Cardless and having this different perspective, I'm bringing value to the workplace. Um, and you know, it really helps you not just become more confident but also be more accepting of yourself whatever's unique about you whatever's different about you sometimes there's probably the things you dislike most by yourself are actually your biggest assets um, and having that reminding myself that constantly is what motivates me and inspires me and to be able to help other young people realize their potential you know you say something is weird about yourself well, you know what, I don't think that's weird. I think that's a great, unique characteristic which can get you very far. Um, so for me, it's that motivation from that kind of shift I had in myself, but also being able to hopefully have help young people, kind of other young people have that realisation. Um, that's really what kind of motivates me. Well, it, it was great chatting to you and you've got such an inspirational story to where you are today thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I'm sure some of our listeners have really enjoyed listening to this episode
Thank you so much for inviting me on. And if there's anyone listening to this who has any questions, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and drop me a message. Or if you want to find out more about Champion Youth Minds, all of our social medias are at Champion Youth Minds and our website is www.championingyouthminds.com. Um, and I'm more than happy to help anyone or give any advice. Um, so please don't hesitate to reach out. And thank you once again. Thank you for listening to the exploratory journey and I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to follow all our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn to stay up to date with our future episodes.